0: know what I mean? We would certainly, um, seriously, shortchange <coughs> um, any type of study on the Book of Ephesians. It would be utterly incomplete without taking time to attend to the very specific information and instructions which Paul by which Paul exhorted the the Ephesian believers. In other words, he's got some important things to say in Chapter Six. Real important. Uh, if if our goal is to live a victorious spiritual life. Okay, is is that where your heart is at? If your heart is at living a victorious spiritual life that honors God and that is fruitful and that blesses people, that has like fruit and results, if that's what you want, it's important to read and understand and apply Ephesians chapter 6. Can I get a witness on that? It is absolutely true. So the title of the message here this morning is the armor of God, okay? We were there last week. <clears throat> and it's. I think it's also interesting that we have, as a very, um, a very powerful and present um, object lesson, we have what's going on across the other side of the world. And there we see a country, right? In this country, Ukrainians were kind of minding their own business, at least the people. There's all kinds of things that go on behind. There's so much that goes on, geopolitically and between nations that you and I could never unravel it in a million years. But you basically had a nation full of people who were kind of doing their thing and living their lives and doing their family and all the rest of it. And then we have um, what appears to be a power crazed maniac um, who runs things in the Soviet Union or in Russia, and he's decided that he wants that real estate. So these poor people all of a sudden find their lives completely thrown into utter upheaval because somebody has decided to make war against them. Now, I see that as a parallel here um, because whether or not you and I are, are aware enough of it, someone has decided to make war on you, okay? And that someone is the enemy of your soul. And you came up on his radar screen when you became a believer in Jesus Christ and you had a target on your back and have had a target on your back from the day that you came to faith in Christ. And so it's important very much to understand and to apply the things that Paul uh, is speaking to them about in um, Ephesians chapter 6 because he's going to tell them how to fight a good fight, how to war a good warfare in the Lord, how to be victorious, how to be strengthened in the Lord, and in the power of His might, right? So this is this is important stuff. So we, it would just be unthinkable, to not take some time to get into this whole issue of spiritual warfare, what it really is. So let me take a moment here. Well, let's let me go first to these passages and introduce you to the, the words. Okay, here are, um, yeah, Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through twelve. Here are a couple of verses that. Um, actually present within this um, section, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, there are a couple of verses that specifically admonish us to take up the armor of God. So here we go. First of all, in chapter 6 and verse 11, Paul writes and says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 611. And then a little further down the line, he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Okay, so here, here twice he, um, he exhorts. This is something that you're going to have to do. Um, you know, if, you're, if you're going to not be taken prey by the schemes of the adversary, um, if you're going to be able to stand to your ground when tough times come. Let's go through the whole thing in context. Okay, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Momentum. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let us take a moment and pray. Lord, we're so happy to be here this morning, so happy to be in this place gathered together with fellow Brothers and sisters in the Lord, happy to be able to sing praises and and to offer thanks to you, uh, the God of our salvation. You have just done so much for us to bring us out of a a life that was empty and meaningless and corrupt and into a life that is where, where we are free, where we are secure, where life is purposeful and meaningful. So we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us before we ever even thought to ask. And now we pray as we ponder and study this passage of Scripture. Lord, we ask that you to open our mind, open our spirit, open our understanding to these things uh, that, they, that we might be able to ingraft them, into implant them right inside of us so that when the evil day comes or when we find that there's some kind of a scheme that's going on that seems to be set in opposition, um, we'll recognize who's behind all of that, and and be reminded as to how we can prevail, how we can, how we can be victorious in you, how we are to be victorious in you, because we are predestined to be victorious. We are predestined to overcome. So if we hang on by faith, if we walk closely, we will experience your victory. So we thank you, Lord, for this time to be together. Bless your word. We pray, and may uh, may you. Apply it to our hearts. We ask this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everybody said, ent- everyone said enthusiastically. All yeah. oh, right, that's, that's a little better. Okay, now, as I said, our, 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 our study of Ephesians would certainly be short-changed if we didn't go through this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. And there are really two things in this section here, verses 10 through 20, that Paul wants to Wants to make sure that those who are part of this church are informed uh, about and aware of. Two things that are very vital, and they're very general, okay, but then he gets uh, much more specific as we read into it. The first thing is the reality of the spiritual realm. Now, this is a really important, this is a really important governing concept the reality of the spiritual realm we live in a world where there is nothing but confusion about what is out there right there are all kinds of religious points of views uh, philosophical points of views about this great unknown out there there are some people who just don't believe obviously that any of it exists at all that there's no reality whatsoever to any type of spiritual realm and then there's just lots of different perspectives on what that might be. People who consider themselves spiritual because they, they tend to feel and experience and things of, you know what I mean? So the, the spiritual is a, is a, in, in our world, this spiritual realm is a big mystery. We kind of all somehow sense that there's something out there, but we don't necessarily have any real, and in term, without the Bible, we don't have any real clear description or understanding about how this works, what it's all, how the setup is, how does it function, how, what, is, what is its predisposition towards us. All of this is, is really vital information, but the starting point is you have to click on the idea that there is a spiritual realm. Now, I don't think I have to work real hard to convince most of us who are here this morning because pretty much I think that everybody here mostly everybody here is on board with that idea and you believe that there is a spiritual realm and that's good but it's important that we understand that we are to interact with it we are to accept it and we are to understand it and and because because it is a vital aspect of our entire experience in god our entire human human experience so Paul wants to inform them about the reality of the spiritual realm. Now, let me say this at the outset. I do not consider myself to be an expert on the spiritual realm. That is for sure. I have been a believer for pushing 44 years now, and, uh, and a committed one, and, and an interested one. And I'm, I, I want to know how this thing works. Um, and yet, after 44 years of walking with the Lord and doing ministry throughout most of that time, I still have a lot of questions about how this thing actually functions and how it really works, okay? so And I, I'm saying that in, in, let's say, in aspects like when there's a sickness, is that always the devil? Has every sickness come from the devil? You know what I mean? Questions like that, where th- when some bad calamity happens, was that, uh, can I be certain that that was, that was the devil that was working there? Or is that just kind of um, a bad turn of events? You know, it's it's all in the sovereign mind and plan of God, that's for sure. So it, again, I would say that over the course of years, I, I, I still consider myself to be a learner. And that probably is true on just about every level of Bible information that I'm aware of. That there is much, 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 much more yet to be learned. and so, um, And so, I'm not an expert. Okay, good. We have established that. Okay. But... I do know the Bible information about this topic. And, and knowing what the Bible says at least gives me the information that helps me to understand this thing as best as I can and to have a greater and greater understanding of this. Okay? The, the idea that um, I'm still, I, there's still a lot to learn for me or that I'm not an expert in this doesn't lead me to believe that the phenomena no longer exists. In other words, if I don't see people who are doing things like what we sometimes read about in Scripture where somebody falls over and is writhing and is foaming and there's like a very you know, demonstrative type of, uh, type of uh, uh, sensational type of a thing where, where demons are cast out of people. Um, but I don't, I don't believe that that phenomenon no longer exists. I just think that the devil is working probably in a far more subtle fashion. Than just, than, because that's easy. If, if someone were to come in here this morning and was speaking with ah, 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 you know, you know, some kind of weird voice and was all twisted up or something like that, probably most of us would say, I'll bet you that person is demonized. I'll bet you the devil has something to do with that, right? That, that would be, that's easy, right? It is, the, it is the more subtle forms of satanic influence that I think are the bigger problems. Things that just don't really seem to be that bad. Things that can be easily justified. Excuses or justifications or rationalizations that can be made in terms of uh, moral dalliances or just um, dalliances in, you know, like uh, giving ourselves a pass in terms of integrity of life, honesty, truthfulness, those kinds of things. So I think the devil is acting, but he's acting in our world much more in a far more subtle fashion, in my opinion. I believe that the danger which he poses is much more subtle. And so it's important that we get a handle on, uh, on this instruction. So anyway, let's, uh, let's go back to the, the text. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul has brought this issue or this matter before his readers. If you remember back in um, chapter 2, when he spoke of the former lives of the people who now were believers in the church in Ephesus, um, this is what he said about them. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, very strong statement, right? Where he's telling he, where he's telling them where they came from. I want you to notice that phrase: "the prince of the power of the air." In this text, the apostle Paul. You see, I think we've got this. Yeah. Um, the Apostle Paul describes Satan first as a prince with power, because Satan has authentic power in the world. OK? He's not a fantasy or a fairy tale. He is a living being that has authentic power in the world. Um, here's what it says about his influence. Uh, we know that we are from God, John writes in 1 John 5:19. "And the whole world lies under the power of the wicked one. So there is a controlling force of oppression that is worldwide and invisible, and it it has the entire world under its sway. Now, not only does he have authentic power in the world, but this power has been given to him by God. When, When Satan encounters Jesus when Jesus is tempted right after his baptism. And Satan comes along and he's trying to, uh, I always think that he's trying to lure him into the autonomy rebellion. Okay, Satan is the author of autonomy. My life is mine, I'll do what I want. Okay, he's trying to lure Jesus into that same state by telling him essentially, look, you're starving to death. Do something for yourself. You see that song right there? You can turn that into bread why don't you just turn that stone into bread? You've been fasting here for 40 days. Man, i got a dry mouth here this morning. Mm. And in each case, Jesus resists um, the temptation and, and uh, overcomes it by the Word of God. But here's what Satan says about the, the temptations that he's presenting to Jesus. He says, to you... I will give all this authority. You remember, he took him up in a very high place. From this high place, he could see all of the kingdoms of the world. And then Satan says to him, To you, I will give all this authority and all of its glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Okay, so he is in charge of parceling out, or who it is that will be seated at the, um, in, in rulership or in leadership over the nations. Okay, Satan has some power some power over illness, okay? And there's a, there's a story uh, in, I think it's Matthew 13, about this woman who was all hunched over for 18 years. She had been hunched over, and then she came to Jesus, but she came on a Sabbath, and he prayed over her, and she was healed. And so the Pharisees and scribes got all freaked out by this and, and rebuked him for healing. And he said to them, should not this daughter of Abraham um, be healed on, uh, even on the Sabbath day who has been bound these 18 years by Satan. Okay, so something about that woman's malady, something about that woman's illness or her problem was specifically and directly caused by Satan himself or Satan and his, his uh, emissaries. So Satan has some power over illness. I wouldn't tell you that I think that every time you get sick that you are somehow under the control of Satan or that Satan. I don't know. That's, that's really what it boils down to. I don't know. I tell you, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll pray for you. You know, if you're sick, don't, don't, don't um, be afraid to ask me. I'll be happy to pray for you, and we'll pray that the Lord will lift that sickness. Um, but there's just some things that are just not that easy to discern. And that's what this whole thing takes. It's a, a whole other sensory operation to discern it. You know, Scripture talks about the gift of, the, of discerning of spirits. I remember years ago, I'll just get off on this now, but years ago, it, it seemed to be a very very kind of popular thing that a person, if, if you were in prayer, that people would, they, they, it was being presented that the discerning of spirits was that I could actually know which spirit this person who just came to me and is needing prayer is under the influence of. So if I could name it, well, he, you have a spirit of fear. Or you have a spirit of infirmity. Or you have a spirit of pride. And I could name that spirit. And, and that was, at the time, something that was being presented for what it meant to have, to be, the, to use the gift of discerning of spirits. I have my own experience is, is that it is considerably um, more general than that. I think we have a hard enough time just figuring out which one is God and which one is the devil. Okay, now you may think, how could that be hard? Well, the devil is the master counterfeiter, right? He appears or poses as an angel of light. He knows exactly God's modus operandi, and he will look to replicate it and thereby deceive people so that something that is actually going to be problematic or out of the plan or will of God is being, um, you are being lured or enticed into that very thing or seduced into that very thing. So the, the, the whole, all of this is governed over by our ability to discern. And the best way that I know of to sharpen up your ability to, be, to actually be a discerning person is get the Word of God in your mind. That's the most powerful tool that we have. The more you actually know what God says in His Word and can recall it and bring it back and apply it you will have the highest possibility of being able to actually discern what is going on when things get a little nutty and hairy in your life and you feel as though there's a strong possibility that the devil may be um, calling your number. So Satan has some power over illnesses. We need to be discerning in order to uh, understand all that. And uh, here's another one. This one is powerful. In a secondary sense, Satan has power over death. Now, what, what is that supposed to mean in a secondary sense? Well, let me, let me uh, take you one of, my, one of the most powerful verses. Well, I think I always say that. So this is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. But this is really a monster verse, okay? It comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and we'll uh, see if we can pick it, pick it apart a little bit. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, okay, so that's you and me, Right? Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that being the Lord Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Okay, so Jesus voluntarily came down and took on this human flesh of ours, but his primary reason for taking on this human flesh of ours was that he might experience death and be victorious over it. To con- Death, the ultimate enemy of every living person in this world that comes along, and, and when you really think about the reality of death, it just simply erases you. Now, you might be remembered for by your children or by your family or for a little while, but let's face it, death, just takes you out. It nullifies you. It makes all of your achievements of of no significance whatsoever. It makes your whole life invalid and unimportant and unnecessary and something just to forget. Okay. But Jesus came down and took on flesh that he might, through this flesh, actually experience death, to take on death, and by taking on death, he could triumph over it, be victorious over it, and then come back and show us, look, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be afraid of this. How afraid of death are you? Mm. Not at all. That's the way it should be. Because the Lord Jesus has triumphed over death. So notice what he says. Um, That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Now who is that? That's Satan, right? Satan has the power of death because the power of death is sin okay sin is the scary part because we we know that we stand guilty before god the power of death therefore or the fear or the thing that gives death its awesome fearful power is sin because there will be an appointment it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment so jesus came that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil okay Um, I've said this a lot of times, but it is important basic in terms of uh, understanding biblical truth. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus come into this world? You might say, well, he came into this world to die for us so that we could be forgiven and reconciled back to God. And I would say, that's the second reason. What's the first reason? And the first reason that Jesus came into the world, it says, for this reason, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You see, that was his target. And then having been victorious by destroying the works of the devil, okay, he comes back and helps us, because he says, and that he might release those who all their lifetime were subject to bondage because of the fear of death. Okay, so this specter of death, this fear of death uh, hangs over our life. It, 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 it taunts us, okay? And, and it torments us because we know sooner or later, my number's coming up, sooner or later, um, I will leave this world. And if I don't have any good information about what's next, if I really don't know the plan and purpose of God, I'm anxious about this. I'm afraid of this. And so anyway, he says that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death well, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So, in a secondary sense, Satan has power over death because he can just sit there and hassle you over it. He can just sit there and pre- and, pre- and you might be going through a rough time. You may be going through an illness. You may be, you know, you may have lost your job or you're finding something. I'm, I'm sure people in, in, who have much bigger problems than we have today over on the other side of the world are certainly being tormented and hammered if they have no hope and all of a sudden everything is just falling apart right they are so, they are in bondage to their fear uh, that that terrible things are afoot so what he's what we're learning in this passage here is that and release those who through fear of death will all their lifetime subject to bondage all right satan also has power over some people the uh, the people referred to in ephesians chapter 2 and 2 referred to as the sons of disobedience. He is the spirit that now rules in the hearts of the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience refers to people who have not yet trusted Christ as their Lord, have not found him yet as Lord and Savior. Uh, These same lost or unbelieving people are also presented in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Check out this verse, another powerful verse. We're going to go back to this chapter a little bit because this is also a major chapter whereby we can learn some, something about this whole, the devil and the demonic realm. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should, si- should shine on them. So again, these unbelievers are said to be being blinded. Their eyes are, are blinded to the reality of uh, who Jesus is, and so they remain in this lost conditions. The demons are under the rule of Satan. And uh, Scripture Scriptures, I don't know if I have that up there. Do we? No. And also, Satan, according to Scripture, Satan has a kingdom, and Satan has a throne. And so Satan is called a prince because he's a ruler, and possesses power to manifest evil in the world through influencing people and commanding demons. That's his gig. Okay, Satan is called a prince because he's a ruler and possesses power to manifest evil in the world through influencing people or by influencing people and commanding demons. And then we get to the other part, the prince of the power of the air. The air in Ephesians chapter 2, 2 presumably refers to the invisible realm above the earth. Where Satan and his demons are active. In a natural sense, it refers probably to the earth's atmosphere. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, so on one hand, the, the term air could simply refer to something like atmosphere, the natural um, atmosphere of the earth. But I believe that um, the, the connotations of this entire passage imply something much larger than just something that exists in the physical air. It is something universal, something as, as ubiquitous, something as omnipresent as air, something that is absolutely everywhere. Um, so, okay, a ubiqui- here's what I wrote down. Um, a ubiquitous, don't you like that big word? Ubiquitous, are you impressed? Huh? Ubiquitous. It, me, it means everywhere. It means omnipresent. A ubiquitous, omnipresent, invisible spirit who exerts a force or an influence which is constant, inescapable, and omnipresent. And he exerts, a, um, he exerts an influence and that influence is to be disobedient to God okay he is the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now rules in the hearts of those who are disobedient every every there is something that works in us there's something that is wrong with us with that we have this natural predisposition to be disobedient to god it kind of starts like when you're like one year old and you the first time somebody says no right it's like yes right? It, it immediately gets stirred right up. It's like, the, like the, uh, the, the story of the father who's driving along, the kids at the back, he's making all kinds of racket, he's standing, he says, I told you to sit down, sit down back there. He's, the kid's still teasing his sister and, you know, making a lot of noise. He, I told you to sit down. Okay, so uh, still commotion goes on. Third time, he says, I'm, I'm telling you right now, i pull this car over, but you, you need to sit down. So he, the kid finally sits down. And so then the father says, are you sitting down back there? He says, yeah, I'm sitting down on the outside. I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> That's in us, isn't it? Right? That very thing. So he says the spirit that now works in the children, uh, or in the sons of disobedience. Okay. So the nature, the second thing that Paul wants to share with them is, first of all, the reality of the spiritual realm. It's necessary that we know that this, this is in play. This is, this is real and this is powerful. And the second aspect is he wants to talk about the nature of this spiritual realm. And this is my, yeah, my description. It is a hierarchy of invisible, super intelligent, highly organized spiritual beings who are completely committed who are completely committed to and united around one overarching purpose, to oppose and frustrate the plans and purposes of God. That's what they are about. That's what this hierarchy is all about. And the influence and power of this hierarchy is so pervasive and worldwide that there has never, ever been one human being who was not willingly constricted or enlisted into the service of this hierarchy. Except one, of course. One. Our Lord Jesus is the only one who was not sucked into the autonomy rebellion. Everybody, all the rest of us went in willingly. Happy to go. Okay? Here's what... We have this... Okay, no. Um... Let me just go back from that for a second. So his titles, Satan is referred to as the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He is referred to as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2. 2. He, he is referred to by the Lord Jesus as the prince of this world. Just shortly before Jesus is crucified, he says, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Okay? So he had, Jesus um, was just about to do him in. And here's the good news. Guess what? When you became a believer, and when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that was the highest possible earthly manifestation of God's purpose, God's greatest purpose being fulfilled. Let me, let me just run that by you one more time. When you became a believer, when you came to a place where you really believed, when this thing kind of, there it was, and, and you were saying, I, I do, I believe this thing when that happened, that was the highest form of God getting His way, having His purpose fulfilled, that there is on planet Earth. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's desire that every human being experience salvation, experience reconciliation and forgiveness, and are drawn back. Now, obviously, a lot of people never get there. A lot of they don't hear, or they don't respond, or whatever it may happen to be, whatever is behind all of that. But, um we are we are we are predisposed in this whole thing and um and 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 since that was god's highest manifestation of his power, guess what the day you got saved, you came up on Satan's radar and you had a target on your back because you are the purpose of God. Remember what he said in Ephesians chapter two, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do. Good works, which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Hey, that's pretty, that's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty clear that I am God's project right now. And God's working in me in such a way so that I will, I, 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 he has already worked some things out for me to do. I'll tell you something, this kind of just came to mind when I was kind of thinking about this. I never had any desire to be a pastor. Does that disappoint you? Okay, it was just, ne- the reason I'm saying this, for we are his, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. I, never, I was never like, "Boy, I want to be a pastor someday. <laughs> I don't know many people that say that. Right? I, if they understood how good it, you do, you preach one hour a week and you're done. <laughs> right? Who wouldn't take this job? All the rest of us sit around, watch TV, and just chill. You know, relax. I just think you're all missing out. But anyway, um, this wasn't this wasn't something that I didn't know this was on the plan. Or part of the plan. It's even, it is even like when we first started a Christian school in Randolph back in 1982. Well, I had friends who thought that was just downright hysterical. You are the principal of a what? Right? The, it, it, you know what I wanted to be. but we'll, I wanted to be a rock, rock and roll star. Yeah, you know. But, so, that, so that's how wrong, okay? I would have been like the biggest... Dead end, and I, yeah, I still am in my own little kind of. I'm a, I'm a big fish in a little pond, that's all right. But the point being, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. It is God's plan not only to save me, but then to direct me and plug me in someplace where I can actually be useful to His kingdom, where I can actually be a source of. Uh, of, of, of uh, help or encouragement or spiritual strength or spiritual understanding to other people so that my life can actually have some, some value and some meaning and some, and some purpose. Okay? So, when you became a believer, God's purpose was being fulfilled, but that puts you on, that, on Satan's hit list. Okay? Because remember, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? You have been saved by grace. So really, I can't take very much credit for anything that's going on around here. Okay? I can just simply thank God that he drew me into his, because nobody can come to the Father except the Father's own. Anyway, i got to hustle on here. So... Um, Here's, here's, here's a passage from, first, uh, from, from the Gospel of John, first chapter, again, which talks about the fact that the initiative behind your salvation, my salvation, was all God. He was in the world, this is Jesus himself, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Of God to those who believe in His name who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, um, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God by God's sovereign decision. Remember in the first chapter, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every Spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us before the foundation of the world, in love He predestined us to adoption as sons, and over the whole thing as children. And, and the whole thing is just being like um, brought back to like. Do you know how blessed you are? That's what Paul is writing to these people. Do you have any idea how blessed you are that you were in the mind of God before the foundation of the world? That He chose you. That He is, He has predestined your life to be a life of victory and success. Not that you're not going to have your share of battles. Not that you're not going to go. Or that you will not ever go through periods of trial and difficulty. That's all part of the picture. But God's purpose and plan behind the whole thing is that you, like Job said, I know that. Uh, I know that my Redeemer lives, and after he has tried me, I shall come forth like gold. Okay, so when he was in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the toughest time, he just remembered that God was superintending that whole thing. And when the trial was done, he was going to come out of it with all the trophies. So we are, we are born of God. It is all God's work. And, uh, and now we find ourselves in this situation where all of a sudden we are under attack by the enemy. So when you got saved, you came up on Satan's radar. It is now the unceasing task of the satanic hierarchy to oppose, hassle, entice, and deceive you. So that's what we're up against. And that's why he puts all this information together, because that's why he is placing such importance on, so therefore, put on. The whole armor of God. Okay, God has, um, God has the protection that any believer needs. And it is all completely available to any and all believers. But it's important. God has, there, there is such a thing as the armor of God, but God doesn't put it on you. So this brings up a perennial question, which um, might, might sidetrack me a little bit, but it's an important question. To what extent can a believer be controlled by Satan? People have asked the same question as, can can believers be demon-possessed? Well, first of all, the the term demon-possessed is not an accurate biblical term. The the more correct term, that is, or the, the, the word that is actually being used there, is the term demonized. It means under the influence of, okay? And can a Christian be demonized? Absolutely. In other words, he doesn't have to demonize the other people. They're already lost. But Christians can be under the oppressive influence or under the, the deep um, enticement influence, the, 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 what is the, word? the seduction influence of the prince of the, power, of the power of the air. To what extent can a believer uh, be controlled by Satan? Now, the best answer I've ever heard to that was given by William Suddeth, who's written a bunch of books, and uh, this this is kind of his niche in the body of Christ. And, uh, and, he, and he phrased it this way, which I thought was really, really good. Can, to what extent can the, the devil control your life? Or to, to what extent can you be under his influence and demonized? He said, everybody here probably owns a car, right? You own a car, that car's in your, sitting in your driveway some evening, and you're in your house, and somebody comes along, and they get in, and they hotwire your car, and they take and steal your car. And they r- drive it crazy all over the place, slamming it into everything that they can, um, having this massive joyride and doing as much damage as they possibly can. Okay, Now, Satan can do that to a, human, to, to a Christian's life. Satan can get behind the wheel of your life, and he can run the thing right into a brick wall. and And, and, and only you can do something about that. Okay? Now here's the thing. For, for a Christian, because what people are interested in knowing is can a person then, want, once having belonged to God, can they now belong to Satan? And the, the, the way that, that Sutteth explained all that, he said the one thing that that person, that delinquent that took your car, that's driving around, that smashed it all up, the one thing that they cannot do is own your car because you have a title to it. And God has the title. To your life. You are owned by God. You belong to Him just in the same sense before. Even as, you know, uh, what we just uh, said from that first chapter, you know, bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, even as He chose us before the foundation of the world, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. We have, through Him, we have redemption through His blood. I mean, we have all of these blessings, all of these gifts that God has unloaded or poured out, um, uh, showered upon us. Um, and, and we are advised to, to walk in those things. Whatever things are good, whatever things are right, whatever things are just, whatever things are noble, whatever things are virtuous, whatever things are praiseworthy, think on those things. And the God of peace will be with you. So anyway, the devil can get in your life. If you let him, you can be massively, as a believer, you can still be massively under the control of the devil and he can wreck your life. Okay, That's why you have to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the methods or the schemes of the devil. Okay, so, um, where am I here? Okay, so without faith, without wisdom, without discernment, without knowledge, without obedience, without, here's the key, without resistance, you are just another stooge. You are just another easy prey for the devil who has been working on people like you and me for thousands of years at this point. Knows every trick in the book. If Without those things, without the wisdom that will come from the Word of God, without discernment, without the knowledge that comes from Scripture, without a predisposition to be obedient to God, without resisting the devil. That's what we're told to do. So many people, you know, it was so popular to rebuke the devil. Scripture is against that idea. Scripture never says to rebuke the devil. It says, what it actually says is that even Michael the archangel, as high and as exalted in, in, in the position as he was, did not arrogantly rebuke the devil, but he said to the devil, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. In other words, he himself was not taking that kind of position of authority over the devil. So we're not called to rebuke the devil. We are called to resist the devil. And that just means that he is going to try to push his way into your circumstances, push his way into your head, push his way into what's going on in your world, in your life. And you and I are to be spiritual enough to recognize that this is an attack that's coming, like the intensity of this or the character of this. I don't, I don't know how to give you specific information or tools, it's, it's just... It it is a it is a maturity thing. It's like you you've been through this so many times. You recognize, okay, I know the devil's in this thing, but he's not going to get anything from me. He's not going to get. He he will have no victory or success in my life. So anyway, without that, you'll be just another dead fish carried along by the course of this world, which he's talking about. All right, Um, but you are predestined to receive, according to Scripture, an abundant entrance to the kingdom of God. But for that to happen, you need to put on the whole armor of God. So let's take a quick look at a couple, if we get that far, a couple of the um, pieces of the armor of God. What is going on? There we go. Okay. First thing, we have. Thank you. The belt of truth. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, the Roman soldier, underneath all of his armor and all the panoply of all the stuff, that he he actually was just wearing robes. And those robes would easily get in the way. If you were trying to fight a battle, you can imagine how awkward that could be. So those robes all had to be gathered together. And so this was what the belt was for. Now, in almost every description that I've read, every place where I've dug into this to try to do some studying, truth... Well, and when people are describing what truth is all about in this context, it always tends to work its way back to Jesus, who, of course, is the way, the truth, and the life, okay? That we, we must come to know Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, obviously, that is nothing but true, okay? He is the, the, the beginning. He's the author of all of this, um, And then the second presentation is always you need to know the word of God because Jesus says to, or when he's praying for his disciples, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So the scriptures and Jesus, but it tends to make truth to be something that is informational, something that I know, and that's not correct, okay? Because this concept of truth is much deeper than having the right information, although having the right information is important. In other words, if you know God's plan of salvation, if you know who Jesus is and what he's done, and you know the word of God, yes, you have the right information. But that is not the same thing as the belt of truth. Having the right or correct, the, the, the spiritually correct information is not this. This goes much deeper than this. The actual concept here, in terms of the, the belt of truth, um, the, the, the perfect synonym, I think, would be integrity. That's what, that's what this truth is, real, is really all about. The word aletheia, which is the Greek word for truth, means the reality at the basis of appearance. Truth is what God knows. Truth, the truth is what is true beyond all of the appearances. We are masters at making appearances, of trying to make it look good. And right? trying to present ourselves in the best, most favorable possible light. And yet, there can be all kinds of things. It's like two a husband and wife fighting like crazy, angry, yelling at each other. The phone rings, hello? Right? Turn it right off. Okay? Um, so, we are, we are adept, so adept and, and so capable of kind of putting on appearances. And, and God is not interested in that at all. That's, that's just a superficial show. What God is interested in is what is the reality at the basis of the appearance? What is it really like inside? What is it really like inside your life? What is it really like inside your mind? What is, that's the truth. That is, be, that, that, that is the thing that the believer needs to put on, that commitment to integrity, that there wouldn't be anything hidden. There wouldn't be anything duplicitous. There wouldn't be any fraud. There wouldn't be any fake. And the, and the and the job of putting on the belt of truth is much more than just getting the right spiritual information. It is bringing life into alignment so that I'm not five people. One when I preach up here, one when I'm home with my wife and kids, another one when I'm off on my job. Someplace. You know what I mean? Like It's easy to just kind of be... Uh, a, a chameleon and adapt to any number of in, uh, of different environments, but what God is interested in is the is the truth in the inward parts. there's a oh, I got another whole minute, so I might as well um, here here is a hmm, excuse me, the best synonym, as I said, is integrity. Here is a passage of scripture, and this one precedes a, a verse that we looked at already because we were already in second Corinthians chapter four where he talked about if our, if our gospel is hid. Notice what Paul says regarding his own approach to ministry. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God, Deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He was making himself so transparent that people would like that there was just nothing hidden, nothing that he was hiding or concealing. Everything for Paul was completely on the table. Actually, by saying that commending ourselves to every man's conscience, I'm even doing things that you're convicted about, or not doing them. fellow. In other words, he is using somebody else's conscience as a guide for his own um, behaviors or things that he permits himself to do, right? Now, you would, and I think, you know, I'm kind of buried into this statement, and what follows kind of just jumps off of that, because I would think that Paul's, Paul is saying, so I don't get it. Why do people not see this? Why do people not recognize that I'm the, the integrity of all of this, the honesty of all? Of I have no particularly good reason to do this except I believe it. And I must. Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. right? So he's out there and he's preaching and, he, and I, it's got to be in his mind, how come nobody is seeing this? I am, I am as open and as transparent and as honest as I could possibly be and people are not seeing it. But here's what he goes on to say. So, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose, gods, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Why are they not seeing it? Because Satan has blinded the eyes or blinded the minds of people who are unbelievers. <clears throat> So, oh, there's a whole other thing I would love to get into, but we can't. We can't. But there's always more, right? So we'll come back. I wanted to bring this uh, to the to the whole point where David, David in Psalm 51, David is lamenting and you know, like repenting of the of this great sin that he committed with Bathsheba, and probably everybody knows that. We'll tell the story again next week. when he he speaks to God, he says you desire truth in the inward parts. That's where you want truth to be. It's not just up here. It's that this thing becomes transparent and true and honest, and honest and faithful um, reproduction of who who Jesus is. As as close as I can get it. That's the goal. As close as you can get there to the absolute. That's what was so amazing, and it's why Jesus could say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <clears throat> so, put on that belt of truth. If there's maybe the best way to conclude this is if there's anything false going on in your life, know that it's coming up. It's going to be known. Okay? This that's why that's one of the most sanctifying things in my life. I know that every time I do something wrong, I get caught. I could, I could run over a list with you. You wouldn't believe it, right? If everybody else walked, I got nailed. That's just, but I, I accept this as God's better purpose and plan for my, for my life. But as far as, if, if there is anything that's happening in your life that you've got hidden or covered up, it's time to discard it. It's time to recognize it for what it is and to realize it is a tragedy waiting down the road. When 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 this actually comes up and is known, it is a disaster for my life. So let me find out how to get out of this thing. <clears throat> let me put it on the belt of truth. Is this thing is false? This thing is a lie and I and I know it's going to blow up in my face get it right. That's how you put on the belt of truth. You look at everything that's going on in your life. You give yourself no excuses or justifications. You are hard on yourself. Paul says, I beat my body. Keep it under. Lest after preaching to others, I myself become a castaway. Oh, Pastor Steve, shut up, man. Five by two. Let's pray, shall we? So important, though. This is, this is what will really protect you, right? A commitment to truth on that level. A commitment to integrity. On that level, I will not tell a lie. I will not deceive. I will not defraud. I will not pretend, okay? I will live a life that is above board and honest and true. That's what the belt of truth is really all about. And if if that's where you're at, you are going to have, that that is going to be tremendous protection over your life because that's what the the devil's biggest gig is falsehood. This is not a power contest. This is a truth contest. Okay, and he's about deception, and Jesus is about the truth.